Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, how are you, Yoshiko? Yoshiko Dart. You know I send out that message on every show. You know, I've explained this before, but I want to explain it again. It really bothers me that every protected class group has some type of history, some type of history month or just history in our classes in high school. And yet we don't have that for disability. Justin Dart, one of the great heroes of disability rights, who passed away. A lot of people, when I talk to them, I mean outside of our world, do not know who he is. So that is why I do this every week. Uh, And you know what? Somehow, someday, we've got to figure out how to get these 900 hours of this radio show, pull out all the disability history shows and put them somewhere, get them somewhere. I haven't figured out how to do that yet, but I will. I will figure it out. Also, hey, special shout out to our friends throughout the world that listen to the show. Yes, it's Ireland once again. I don't know. Can't tell you what's going on. Cannot. All I can tell you is we've got a big listening audience there. You know, keep spreading the news. The disability rights group there, keep telling other people about the show. uh, And someday you're going to surpass everyone. So thank you so much. And thank you, Highmark, the lead sponsor of Disability Matters with Joyce Bender and of AudioEye, a sponsor, and they are the creator of the software product used for web accessibility that is just taking off everywhere. So I'm very excited about this show today because I'm all about disability rights and policy, (laughs) and I can't think of a better group to have on the show today than the Disability Rights Network of Pennsylvania. And today I have the board chair, Janice Davis, and the CEO, our great friend you hear every single week, Perry Jude Radisic. Welcome to the show. Well, hey, Joyce, it's uh, good to be here with you for the whole show, in addition to our Advocacy Matters segment. Appreciate that, and it's great to be on the show with Janice Davis as well. Yes, it is. She is a fireball also. And Janice, we're going to start with you. How did you first become involved with the Disability Rights Pennsylvania? Pure serendipity, Joyce, pure. I applied for a program, the Board of Observer program, at the Philadelphia Bar Foundation. Someone looked at my application and my interest and matched me up with DRP, which is at time with Disability Rights Network of Pennsylvania. I served as the Board Observer for a year. I was formally elected to the board a year after, and then went on to serve as Chair of the Finance Committee and Chair of the Board. Wow. And how do you like that, Janice? It is an absolutely amazing experience. So it's been, this was in 2011, and I say I, but really it was we. I was pregnant with my firstborn, Ava, at the time. And so for the past seven years, I've served on this board in some capacity, and it has been one of the best decisions that I have made. And we are also lucky to have you, and I know from Perry Jude how much you have done for the 
Disability Rights Network of Pennsylvania. So, Perry Jude, CEO, since we have listeners everywhere, including 17 countries, could you explain two things? One, what is the Disability Rights uh, Pennsylvania? And two, what is the National Disability Rights Network? Can you explain both of them? I will, and I think it's best to start together, uh, especially for listeners in, in other countries and around our, our nation, because it's really how we work together and then separately uh, that matters the most. Uh, together, the National Disability Rights Network, of which we are a part of, comprise a national network of congressionally mandated, legally-based disability rights agencies. That's so important. I know that was a lot, but we are a national network. There's one of us in every state and territory. We were mandated by our legislators at the federal level. So that means we are legally-based disability rights agencies. We offer individuals across this country information about their rights as people with disabilities. And we have the authority by our federal legislators to provide legal representation and other advocacy services to all people with disabilities in every state and territory across this nation. And and so then if you start to focus down, so we have that authority across this country in every state and territory, and that's our national network, the National Disability Rights Network, who coordinates all of that work and provides us that technical assistance. Then you come down at each and every state. Janice and I run the, national, run the Disability Rights Pennsylvania so here in our state, we have a mission and vision. Our mission is to protect and advocate the rights of people with disabilities so that we may live the life we choose, free from abuse, neglect, discrimination, and segregation. It's the same, generally the same mission and vision you would find at every one of our sister agencies across this country. It's the same principles of equity, fairness, equality, meaningful choice and participation that you would find everywhere. And our vision is a commonwealth where people of all abilities are equal and free. And for all of us here in Pennsylvania and across the country, we were established about uh, 41 years ago. So we've been around for a long, long time protecting people uh, with disabilities, across disability. And so we really are about meaningful choice and participation, independence, and cultural competency. If you wanted to know more about our national network, you can find the National Disability Rights Network at ndrn.org. And from there, you could find each and every one of us across the country. Okay. What are those two websites again? Yes. You could find any one of us across the country at ndrn.org. If you want to find us at Disability Rights Pennsylvania, to learn about us, and we'll get into what we do throughout the show, you would go to disabilityrightspa.org. Disabilityrights.org. And disabilityrightspa. PA. Yes. Can't forget that part. PA. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Can't forget that, which remember everyone, I am headquartered right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, although we are a national company and I speak internationally, you know, this is my state. I love my state. Um, and also remember 
I'm a woman living with epilepsy, and I'm not ashamed. I'm living with epilepsy, and that is why I love everything about disability rights and about Disability Rights Network of Pennsylvania. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters and disability rights matter at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Janice and Perry Jude. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show. We are talking to Janice Davis, chair of the board of the Disability Rights Network of Pennsylvania, and Perry Jude Radisic, the CEO. Janice, I want to mention that when I met you in person, wow, I was just so impressed with you and I can see why you were nominated to become chair but I wanted to ask you what are some of the current projects you are leading right now oh thank you Joyce and I'm glad you said that because uh, I didn't mention that in 2014 we brought Perry Jude on and one of the first things we did was change the name so you'll hear us say sometimes DRP versus DRN, but it's the same organization, and we now go by, as Prairie Dew tells you every week, Disability Rights Pennsylvania. Um, and Joyce is on our board, so for you listeners who have not had a chance to meet her, talk about a firebrand. She's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, so hopefully she tells you a lot about what she does, because she is such a true blue advocate that she is very, very inspiring. So I'm going to back up just a little bit and tell you, I told you how I got to Disability Rights Pennsylvania, but not why I'm so interested in it. I am a family member of my mother has a severe mental illness, um, paranoid schizophrenia without insight, and that has really opened my eyes and made me an advocate first for her and then now for other people with disabilities. In terms of what projects, ongoing projects I lead, I do a lot um, in terms of board engagement, participation, and dealing with some of the ongoing concerns. As an organization, recently we've had some big changes, and the board has been instrumental in facilitating and assisting with that change in terms of strategy. So uh, there are some ad hoc committees kind of spur-of-the-moment committees that have come up to gather information and make some decisions that were integral to the operation of DRP, Um, fiscal policy decisions which help us to run a better organization with a longer eye for the future, which really impacts decisions that we make today, so having multi-year budgets, Uh, reserve policy which deals with how we handle the monies that we're entrusted with and how we prepare to handle them in the future. 
um, some other kind of operational plan uh, policies as well. And then we have policies which are really, I call them, are really kind of sexy popular committees, actually. Public policy, and that's, that's somewhere, a place where anyone can jump in. Anyone with any kind of background can jump in and be helpful in terms of contacting your, legislate, your legislators and giving yourself and others a voice on matters that are important to people with disabilities, and I'll get to some of them in detail a little later. And then there's development, which is a new committee for us. Both of these are newer committees for us as an organization. Another place where anyone can jump in and assist with development. I did some quick calculations and... Hello? We're here. I'm here. Okay. That must be me. in 2016, we had a budget of $5,700,000. Most of us would think, oh, that's a lot of money. What are they doing with that money? But you look at the number of people that we served, 547,000 people, 688 too, but we'll just say 547,000 people. That is an allotment of only $10.41 per person. Wow. $10.41 per person. What can you do with that? We, most of us eat more than $10.41 um, a meal, definitely within a day. And with that amount per person, and that's only touching 32% of people with disabilities in Pennsylvania, we were able to serve people in ways to have tremendous impacts, which I will detail to you a little later during the show. So um, in terms of what I do, I, we say lead. I do a lot of facilitating. I do a lot of cheerleading, a lot of organizing, um, and trying to strategize. But there's so much to be done on so many different levels. And then as a person, and I'm going to close it down. I know Perry Jude has something to say too. Um, There's the small things. I'm an ambassador in small ways, right, in terms of talking to people that I meet um, that I commune with every day about people first language. About I remember, you know, one day I heard a police officer say handicapped and say, oh, you know, we now see people with disabilities. And those are ways everyone can be an advocate, can be an ambassador, can help further the cause. Wow. That is amazing, though. Those statistics that you gave are absolutely Amazing. And Perry Jude, it is an honor to have you. You're the newsbreaker. You're like CNN News on every show. In case you don't know, remember how on the half hour I bring you that Advocacy Matters news break every week? Hey, that's that's Perry Jude. That's Perry Jude who's on right now. Um, And we love her so much. But I wanted to talk to you about something. You've probably seen that big nonpartisan campaign uh, when we all vote that Michelle started, uh, Obama. And one, one of the things is, wow, we have this huge population of people who could vote. But... It's hard to make that happen for several reasons. So I wanted to see, how do you think we can work together to get more people with disabilities registered to vote? And how many polls do you think are not accessible? And what should we do about that? Oh, yeah. Well, those are two very big issues and two separate topics. So let me let me talk about polling place accessibility first. I, I know it's hard to believe, but we have made some progress on polling place accessibility. Uh, the and it's slow. Uh, the US Government Accountability Office last published a survey on polling place accessibility in October of twenty seventeen. And they have periodically published surveys on polling place accessibility for decades. And uh, in 2017, they sampled 178 polling places during the 2016 election. 
And they found that 60% of the country's polling places had one or more potential accessibility barriers, still, today. The most common were steep ramps, lack of signs indicating wait, the wait, accessible... Wait, wait, yes. wait. Oh, report, yeah, let's stop. Repeat, let's stop. repeat that, repeat that. Yeah. Go ahead, repeat that. Six, this is a government agency, the Government Accountability Office, in 2017 found that 60% of their survey, 178 polling places, this was during an election, so they could go in and see live uh, what was happening, had barriers outside the polling place, 60%. Oh, that is outrageous. And this is choice. This is an improvement because over the decades, we were as high as 80%. That, we, that this is, is this I, is an improvement. I know. This is an improvement. And it's, and it's this still is 60%. an improvement. I mean, do you understand how that can in, impact elections and freedom? Because Absolutely. the right to vote is freedom. Uh, it is. Okay. Sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no. Shocked. This is important. So we've gone from 80 to 60%, and you are correct. We should still be outraged. So how have we gone from 80 to 60%? It's taken a lot of work. It's, it's certainly because of federal law. It's because of the protection and advocacy system, oftentimes working hand-in-hand with independent living centers across this country, surveying polling, polling places and reporting those barriers to county and state election officials. And it is uh, lawsuits, and the U.S. Department of Justice has gone county to county looking at these polling places, looking at these counties, and coming to agreement with these counties in settlement agreements uh, seeking enforcement of our federal right to access polling places. And they have been in Pennsylvania. They have been in Florida. They've been in Virginia. They've been in South Carolina. They have been across this country seeking enforcement of federal laws related to access. And slowly, we have gone from 80 to 60%, and we still have a lot of work to do. So that's where we are with accessibility to just get in. Now, once you get in, we still have problems with the accessible machines that have promised us a private and independent vote according to the Help America Vote Act. We still have work to do there, which is a whole other issue some other time. So you know that's what? where we Go are. Go ahead. Go ahead. That, no, I'll, I'll stop there. Because then no, I was going to get to voter when registration. You said, when you said about polls being accessible, now were you including, when you said that the voting the uh, voting, the polls, the machines, were you including that? No. no. So the government You're accounting including office... including that! Oh, that the, makes it even worse. That the ma- government you know accounting what? office surveyed you know, inside what? the polling place and found that 65% of that sample had a voting system that could impede the casting of a private and independent vote. So it was a little worse once you got inside. We have so much work to do, so much more work to do. You know what? Can you send that data to me, Perry Jude? Because I'd really like to give that to uh, Valerie Jarrett, who is the chair of the board of When We All Vote. Could you send that to me? Because that is like so horrifying. You know what? We've got to do something about this. We've, We've got to do something about this soon and you know here we have voting coming up with the midterms but surely we need to get this under control before our next presidential election and I know that seems like we have a long way to go but it's still possible you, you can't give up when it's freedom freedom, freedom to vote absolutely never get up never give up What has Justin uh, Dart told us? Vote as if your life depended on it. Well, we got to get in. We got to get in. 
Yeah, we got to get in. That's right. Well, you can see we got a lot of work on here, folks. But right now, we're going to... Oh, we're not going to go to break. You know why? We're going to let Perry Jew give her update. Here we are, right on time. How about that? This <laughs> is our Advocacy Matters update that we provide, that Perry Jude provides every week so that, hey, you do know what's going on in our world. So go ahead, Perry Jude. Hey, hey thanks, Joyce. So we're going to switch over to our Advocacy Matters segment, and we're going to talk about the Federal Emergency Management Agency. And it's important to do that. We've got fires in California. We've got flooding out east, and it's hurricane seasons upon, upon us. So let's look at the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Back on May 24th, the director of FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, had made an announcement that was a surprise to many of us in the disability community. FEMA had made an announcement that they intended to drop the number of disability integration advisors from 60 to 5 per disaster site. So what that means is when there's a disaster, FEMA has been sending 60 advisors on disability integration. Now they're only going to send 5. So a Are coalition you kidding? of this? No. Oh, no. you know what? You're telling me one thing after another on this show. I know that it shocks me and sends me. How is that possible? It, well, because advocacy matters, right? We always have to be vigilant. And can you imagine Marcy Rock at this time learning, right? Because as we know, Marcy, for those of us who know disability policy, Marcy had been at FEMA. Uh, working on um, emergency management for all of us across this country and uh, and to learn now that we've gone from 60 to 5 uh, just is, is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking when we work emergency disaster preparedness. So the consortium... Oh, she, I'm sure she is. I, I yeah. can't even imagine how she is. Oh, wait, and keep in mind, folks, that with Katrina and with our, you know, all of our recent hurricanes that happen that have been so deadly because of the flooding and everything else, make sure you know that there are people with disabilities who die and people with disabilities who use wheelchairs or are blind or have other uh, disabilities that without a, you know, without enough help, uh, they they would not live. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. So go ahead, Perry Jude. Let's hear more about sure. this. So so these integration advisors, these disability integration advisors, are important because these are individuals who are are subject matter experts on the ground who provide guidance, training, and technical assistance throughout that disaster response and recovery process. And they facilitate, they also facilitate the government, our federal government's obligation to provide equal access and compliance, and they help protect our civil rights for people with disabilities before, well, during and after the disaster. So they're so important to making sure people get out, that their rights are protected, and that people who are on the ground providing the assistance have the guidance and training uh, needed during, uh, during the response. So again, we're going from 60 to 5 per disaster uh, site. And so a coalition led by the Consortium for Citizens with Disabilities uh, is uh, doing a sign-on letter, which we signed on to today, uh, to FEMA saying, hey, no, no, stop. This is not okay. You have to delay this implementation of your new policy. You have to get stakeholder input because you didn't. 
and uh, you, you can't make this change. So all of us are deeply concerned about this. We're concerned that there might be great confusion on the ground during the next disaster. There could be delays in meeting the needs of people with disabilities during an evacuation. And with all this, the, this less support on the ground, uh, we're just concerned about slower and unmet needs of people with disabilities. So um, by the end of this week, we hope to have this information on our website. We're even people who listen to your show can call and write uh, the director of FEMA to tell them to hold off on the implementation of this and, uh, and can participate uh, with us to show the Homeland, Department of Homeland Security that they, they can't just move forward with this new policy. Absolutely not. And I want you to repeat again what my listeners need to do. Yes. So uh, later this week, go to our website at disabilityrightspa.org and help us because advocacy matters. And so does disaster preparedness. And so does FEMA's response to disasters. And you have to help us make sure FEMA does not roll back critical disability resources when disaster impacts our communities. So help us out. Oh, so important. So important. And I actually had several years ago a young man who is deaf, who we knew very well here in Pittsburgh, um, and he died when there was flooding. And the thing is, there was no, you know, interpreters, interpretation on TV as there is now. Um, but, folks, you know, don't be one of these people that, that you sit back and think, oh, this would not happen to me. Yes, it can happen to any of us. So I, I really hope you you listen to Perry Jude and move forward and make sure you go to the website so you can get that information um, that Perry Jude talked about. Janice, it's so amazing When you talked about your mother and how it impacted you with her mental health uh, disabilities to get so involved in disability rights, I wanted to ask you, at DRP, are we working as an advocate around mental health issues? Because I've got to tell you, you know, Bender Consulting Services, you know what we do. We work on the competitive employment of people with disabilities in IT finance and other areas across the United States with the federal government and major corporations. And let me tell you something. People with psychiatric disabilities have the hardest time gaining employment. Every time there's a shooting and they bring up People with mental health issues, it just pushes people further and further down and raises stigma higher and higher. So are we, are we working on anything at DRP? Oh, of course, of course. You probably know by now that um, anytime Perry Jude brings an issue just like with the voting and actually Joyce do you mind if I back up just a little bit no go right ahead okay Perry Jude has brought a number of wonderful programs elements to to our organization and one she spoke of her of the voting issues today is a voting hotline that uh, she and the staff run before every election where if you do see obstacles to access you can call in uh, as a person who's observing it, and so that we are aware of it as an organization, we can take measures to alter it at the time or even, unfortunately, if it has to be later as well. Um, one of the things, Perry Jude, uh, I, I love calling her because she has this great, warm voice that you, that you guys hear, um, and she always has something that just really makes your blood boil, but it's most often followed by but this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing about it. And if it's not what we're doing, it's okay. Let's, we're thinking about it and then figuring out how to move. So there's always something to be done. 
Another thing um, in terms of FEMA, and this is what I've heard, is that many of us age into disability. So it is something that really will affect many of us. And if you can remember that visual in one of the most recent hurricanes where and a, a nursing home was not evacuated and you saw the water rising as people were in their beds and clearly their equipment was, wasn't working and they couldn't reach their medications. And I think that I am, if I recall, and I hope I didn't just rewrite this in my mind, that they were rescued. Um, it's a very real issue. And for them to go from 60 to 5, it just, I just sat here and my heart is racing because it's horrific. Um, so I know that Perry Jude is leading you know, advocacy against that and hope that everyone can participate. And I will probably be emailed, I hope, a letter that I can sign and send in today. <clears throat> Excuse me. In terms of mental health advocacy, we do a, a lot of mental health advocacy. We have a mental health advisory council, which is also in the statute or is in our funding. It is mandated that we have that. And it is built of consumers, comprised of consumers and family members and professionals within the mental health field. We do, all of our advocacy is done on both individual and systemic bases. So Perry's book of lawsuits, when we file lawsuits, um, and I'm an attorney, so it's all very, very interesting to me, but it's very interesting too because filing one lawsuit can impact millions of people. Because once that law is set, then there has to be compliance, or now those who are not in compliance know that there are consequences. So, for example, our MAC, our Mental Health Advisory Council, sent a letter on May 29, 2000, this, this past year, advocating against HB 1233, which is Assisted Outpatient Treatment, um, which is a bill being put forth that can be detrimental because it is not being put forth with sufficient funding, and it also negates and does not propagate targeted outreach, which looks at voluntary treatment as opposed to involuntary treatment. Um, we advocate against Congressman Tim Murphy's mental health bill. Uh, we spend a lot of time doing that advocacy. We have a director of, of government affairs, I believe is her title, Jennifer Garman, who tra travels and does lobbying. I was fortunate to have an opportunity to lobby with her. Uh, to make, to give every, our people with disabilities a voice to their legislatures, legis legislatures, pardon me. We had, just in March, listening forums at the Norristown State Hospital, which is a psychiatric state hospital in Pennsylvania, to speak to the patients and hear of their concerns and issues that they are having. That's what our our second one, we had one in 2017 as well, <clears throat> and another one of the psychiatric, the state psychiatric hospitals. Um, we have the Wessel settlement, and the Wessel, we speak of it a lot, uh, it's actually come to an end, but this is a lawsuit that was filed on behalf of people in prison with uh, serious mental illness so that they get the treatment that they need, and so they, they are not punished for behaviors that accompany their illness whether treated or untreated, which um, definitely, if you have a behavior that's attributed to your illness and you were then punished for it, um, most of us really can't imagine how oppressive that would be. We also, um, there have been, there are people who are detained because they have a mental illness, but because, like Joyce said, it's so misunderstood in our society that there was, for example, a man in a state hospital uh, and he was he and he was put there uh, due to some crimes that he committed, but his time was up and it, and he looked to be rehabilitated and it was time for him to be released. But the judge had written even an order against him that as long as he sat on the bench or as long as he was alive, this man would never be released. And you know, no judge has that kind of power over a person simply because of and, and any illness that they have, let alone a mental illness. So we were instrumental in getting him released and allowing him to have a fresh start in the community. And the thing about uh, mental illness is that they are largely invisible 
So there are so many people who are touched by mental illness that you run into, come in contact with every day, and you have no idea. Yet we have all the stigma because people don't talk about it. Um, it's, it's a very enigmatic, we don't talk about it in our community. It took me years to talk about my mother having an illness, and yet when I meet people, and I've met three or four over the years, there's a certain way that we talk about our families, which is with a lot of, um, a lot of things left out, a lot of omissions, actually, that I know, and I say, oh, you know what, their mother or their father, father has a mental illness, right? And when you think of the impact of versus secrecy, which means that people are not getting the help that they need, and the stigma for people who do reach out to help, it can be extremely crippling to both those patients or consumers, people who have mental illness, and their families. Um, It's something that drives me, and it's something that drives our organization. It's one of the many disabilities that we recognize, and our, I've talked to you about Perry Jude, how wonderful she is, and our staff, they work tirelessly with, what is it, $10.41 per person. They work tirelessly so that people can ameliorate their lives, which is the one thing that we're all striving to do. It's the one thing that we can all understand. You know, I just want to tell you, I, I, I can't believe that you, when you were talking about you didn't want to talk about your mother. Do you know that just yesterday I spoke at a very prestigious company and one of the executives came up to me and said, we have a lot of, we have many people who work here with a mental health issue and they will not disclose it. They'll tell me, him, but they'll say, oh, I'd never tell anyone this. I never want anyone to know. And that is a result of stigma. And here's what I say about that. You want to change that? Hire someone. Hire someone and make them feel they are included. There is a difference between tolerance and welcoming. That's the difference. Uh, Perry Jude, I know that there have been changes, many changes, uh, ups and downs, but I wondered if you could give us an idea of what the landscape looks like today on disability rights for people with disabilities in our country. Sure, uh, Joyce. I, I think we've entered a time where we absolutely have to be constantly vigilant and engaged to protect the gains we've made over the last few decades. I'm very concerned that our civil rights are under constant review by many federal agencies, by Congress, and by many state legislatures. We know there have been efforts at state legislatures to weaken service animal laws. We see that come through our email listservs all the time. And, uh, and, and it's harder for people with disabilities to go out and have to register their service animal or jump through more hoops uh, to, uh, to, to move through uh, their apartment or a public accommodation with a service animal. And to, to, to create more barriers there is not okay. And, uh, and state legislators are looking at the law and trying to put more barriers on there for everyone. We know that there are efforts at the congressional level to weaken the Federal Americans with Disabilities Act. And, uh, and so uh, we have to be vigilant there. We think we have this almost turned back now with the ADA Notification Act, but we have to stay vigilant. The clock is ticking on the end of uh, this congressional period, and, and we have to keep pushing back. We know that we, we uh, at least for some period of time, 
push back changes to the Affordable Care Act and to Medicaid that would drastically cut payments to the states around Medicaid and, and risk pushing people back into institutions and further cut health and mental health care services and roll back changes, uh, other changes that would have protected people against uh, discrimination and how health care and mental health care services are uh, protected uh, against discrimination by insurance companies. And thanks to ADAPT and others, uh, you know, we, we were able to, to stop that for now. So we have to be constantly vigilant and, uh, and, and pay attention and make sure that, uh, you know, we, we, we protect the gains that we have made when it comes to our health and, and mental health care system and home and community-based services. We, we have to make sure that those uh, home and community-based services stay in place. We, we can't go back to institutional levels of care. We just can't. So our message is that we have to stay connected. We have to push back. We have to keep forging ahead with good policy that promotes social justice and inclusion because we just can't go back. And that's where I think we find ourselves today, Joyce. Yeah, and that is why advocacy matters. That is why it is important that we all stay connected. That is why. Um, Janice, could you share with our listeners a success story based on your good work in 2018? hard to pick just one, but I picked one that's actually slightly older from 2017. We had a case, McGain versus Cinemark, and there was a young man who was both deaf and blind who likes to attend the movies. He wanted to see Gone Girl, which, great movie, great book. I can see why he was really, why it piqued his interest. And the cinema did not want to provide to him as a reasonable accommodation a tactile interpreter. This was a long-fought case. Our legal team worked very hard on this with experts' hearings as we do with every matter. And then a very long wait, I guess, an oral argument, I guess, with the judge contemplated this matter. Um, and we, ended, we did end up with a win. This is one of those systemic advocacy cases where now Cinemark and every other theater will know that Upon request, they need to provide, they are required to provide tactile interpreters. And if, I mean, so you, in terms of thinking, making it very relatable, you think Helen Keller, and I'm drawing a blank on her, on her assistant right now, I'm drawing a blank on her name, who um, and, was her, uh, yeah, what is it? Yeah, you, I, yeah, her first name is Anne. Um, Anne. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank, too. Yeah, Sullivan. Yeah, yeah. Anne Sullivan, I think. Anne Sullivan. Yeah, that's, that's it. Right. Okay, yeah. I'm so sorry. But uh, so to have that, and one of the arguments was, you know, what, what benefit does he get from a movie versus the cost of it? And what I, as we were sitting in one of our board meetings and our legal director, Kelly Dar, she said, you know, who is he to determine anything? Who is he? How can he possibly know about this experience, and that's one of the one of the things I've learned on my own personal experience of opening my eyes, but even experiences that I've had with other people that I see other and that I see other people have um, opened our eyes if you're open if you are there for it. So that's one of our great success stories of uh, recent, we'll say success stories because it was in 2017. Oh, that is a great story. That is a fabulous story. Um, while we're talking about good things that have been done, well, how, how do you feel, Janice, technology impacted individuals with disabilities from a protection and advocacy perspective? Technology brings independence and autonomy. It is that simple and that clear. When um, one of our directors is blind and she is really excited about 
having a driverless car once that comes to fruition, and hopefully it'll be within her lifetime because then she'll have independence that she doesn't have, that she has had in the past. Even Uber, um, they have these special ride passes, and that gives her some independent, a lot of independence. She said, oh, I'm use this pass. Like, I'm driving around like a sighted person, right? Um, so that's one example. Another, and this is really relatable, we all go to the doctor, and there's a blood pressure cuff. And usually your, the assistant looks at the blood pressure cuff. Well, we had a consumer who needed a digital cuff that would speak to her because she could not read that. Um, I'm assuming there was a visual concern there. So it was, if she wasn't able to work, her employer was not going to provide it for her. I believe it was pretty um, pricey. And she came to us, and we were able to procure it for her, assist her with procuring it so that she could work. Another example, and this is with the same blind director. We were driving to Pittsburgh for uh, a fundraiser, and she says, Denise, where are we? And I, I didn't know. I, I said, well, what? Mile marker 93. What? Who, where is that? Who knows? And what did she do? She pulled out her iPhone and said, Siri, where are we? And Siri told us, right? Um, and, and when I think of that whole experience of really traveling with her, I never thought about really how vulnerable um, she must feel in having to depend on people. You think of the cues when you look at someone to determine whether you think they're credible and whether they're trustworthy. Um, she doesn't have that ability. She oh, is extremely uh, competent and capable. You know, she looks at voices and she, you know, smells chlorine to know which floor we're on, which is not something I do. Um, but she doesn't have that. And so technology gives uh, hope for even greater autonomy and independence in the future. And those are just a couple of examples. There are a number of um, others that I've seen, for example, for children with who, who have learning differences. Um, the different systems that they use so that they are able to digest and consume information um, at a rate that is reasonable that allows them to be educated in a similar time span as other students and then will enable them to work in a similar time span as other students. And Joyce, you're probably more familiar with these types of uh, devices than I am. I've just begun to learn about them, actually. Well, you know what? Technology has helped us so much. So much so that my engineer just told me, hey, guess what? We're almost to the end of the show. How is that possible? I'll tell you why it's possible because I am so fired up with everything we talked about. Perry Jude, Janice Davis, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thank, thank you, Joyce. Joyce. Thank you, Janice. Thank well, you, you know, since, since we talked about disability rights and policy, here's something that no matter what country I go to, I teach everyone to say, regardless of the language they speak. And that would be, Yoshiko, I hope you're listening. Lead on. Lead on no matter what. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.